Good morning to you. I just want to say thank you uh, to this church um, for a couple things. Once I get my Bible open, all right. I put my mark in the wrong place, so give me a second. You can turn to Daniel chapter 6. All right, Daniel chapter 6. I want to thank this church um, for the impact that it has had on my life. Uh, my wife and I were here uh, for two years. Our son Theo was born while we lived here, and um, we now live in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and it's called Cedar Crest because it's on Cedar Crest Boulevard. So there you go, Jess. It does make sense. You just didn't understand the context. So um, I'm very grateful to this church uh, and the leadership and how God used this church greatly in my life. I, I went to Bible college, but I feel like God used this church even more so than my schooling to prepare me for ministry and to work in my, uh, in my life and my wife's life. So we are forever grateful to Calvary Bible Church and the leadership here. We also want to thank you as a church uh, for something so vital for our leaders' um, perseverance this week, and that is the air mattresses that you let us borrow. So thank you so much. Uh, mine has been sleep I've been sleeping like I'm on a cloud. So thank you for that. Uh, but seriously, that is very hospitable of you. So I just want to uh, give you our public thanks. Um, if you could turn again in Daniel chapter 6. Uh, I'm going to pray for God's blessing of his word, and then we will dive right into his word this morning. Father, we pause now again to come before you, and we pray. God, because apart from you, we can do nothing. We can believe nothing. We can um, obey in no way, shape, or form. God, we cannot achieve or attain any standing with you whatsoever, and we cannot delight in you and in your word as we were challenge previously apart from you. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, but Lord, fill all of us with your spirit. Just as we want your word to be spirit-filled or spirit-filled as it's preached, we want to be spirit-filled as we listen. So I just pray, God, that you would work in our hearts, that we would hear your word and not be like the fool in James chapter 1 that hears it, looks at himself in the mirror of your word, and goes away without seeking to change anything. Father, I pray that you'd encourage us where we need encouraging, convict us where we need convicting, comfort us where we need comforting, and most of all, exalt your son, Jesus Christ, in our hearts, we pray. And it's in his name we ask this, amen. This world that you and I live in is plummeting deeper and deeper into celebrated godlessness each and every day. This is nothing new for mankind. You cannot get one chapter away from the fall in Genesis 3 before a heinous murder is committed. A brother murders his own brother. You cannot get three chapters away from this fall where our God who sees the hearts of all men observes that the wickedness of mankind is great in the earth and every intention of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. And what does God do? He wipes out the world with a worldwide flood in his grace, preserving Noah and his three children and their wives. And what happens right after that? You get right back to the Tower of Babel. Problem is still active today. And while our nation has been far from sinless and far from Christian in the sense that we have been a all of our citizens are born again, we once had a culture where the majority of sins were not celebrated. 
Our culture used to see as honorable those who chose not to participate in, endorse, and certainly not celebrate sin. The cultural winds of the West, however, have changed. Have you felt it? We are watching Romans 1 unfold before our very eyes. Paul clearly articulates what happens to mankind and society at large when they reject God. What you end up with are rebels that not only practice sin, but celebrate sin. This culture calls evil good while calling good evil. We shift from sinning and trying to hide from God and cover ourselves with fig leaves and instead display our shameful nakedness to the world and ask others to celebrate it with us. This is where the godless winds of rejecting God has blown the West and this drift has metastasized into a hurricane. What is God doing? How are his people, the church, not only to survive this hurricane, but thrive in this hurricane? I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like we're on a piece of driftwood or on a kayak in the midst of a tsunami. How is our faith as individuals to be preserved? How do we keep believing truth when all we hear are lies? How do we live out the Christian life in the midst of a godless culture? How do we handle our employers, our teachers, our colleagues, our extended families, our neighbors that try to impose godless ideologies onto us? Well, we could go with the passive approach. We could all pool all of our resources and become monks and hide in the mountains. Colorado has lots of space for us to do that. Or we can go with the aggressive approach. Depending on your personality, you might like one of these. We could pool all of our resources, stand up to the culture, and fight with every fiber of our being. But how shall we live? Is one of these options what God would call us to? I'm going to argue no. I hope that Daniel 6 this morning shows you the relevance of the word of God. That our God knows mankind because he created us and he knows our sin and our rebellion. He provides the solution. And not only the word of God in general, but also the Old Testament. In Daniel 6, we will see how this man, Daniel, continued going against the hurricane of his day. And I would argue that Daniel's situation was worse than ours. We will see that he not only persevered, he not only survived, he thrived. But even more than looking at this man, Daniel, okay, more than that, we will see how God sustained Daniel, and that ultimately through the greater Daniel, Jesus Christ, whom the whole book points us towards, will also sustain us. So with that in mind, let's turn to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to read the whole thing, so strap in and hold on. Daniel chapter 6, please pay attention. Every detail that God reveals, it's inerrant and it's intentional. Our God does nothing by accident. Follow along with me in Daniel 6 as we read. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 110 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. 
Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps became by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Notice verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his place and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to, to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. 
And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Enduring forever, his kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, Cyrus the Persian. All right. Thank you for holding on with me. We're going to now do a detail review and replay this whole account just fixating and zooming in on very important details, make a little bit of application, but at the end we're going to make most of our application to our lives. So I want us first to notice verses 1 through 5, Daniel's reputation. Daniel's reputation. We're going to start with what his reputation gained him. His reputation gained him position. Daniel was going to be, or was rather, one of three rulers over Darius's kingdom. Darius is at the top, and Daniel is like one of the vice presidents, so to speak. And not only that, Darius was planning on making him the number two guy, the executive vice president, so to speak, of the whole kingdom. It gained him position, and it also gained him favor with the king. I want to pause you just for a moment. It's not the main point of the text. I want you to notice that Daniel served a pagan empire so well, the text says he had a spirit of excellence within him, that he was promoted again and again and was going to be promoted yet again at the end of his life. Brothers and sisters, it is not wrong to be successful within the world system and to work really hard and let God bless you and bless you. What is wrong is to worship success and seek it at all costs. So just let that encourage you as you are in the workforce. So his Reputation gained him position, it gained him favor, but it also gained him enemies. Verse 4 is very clear that there's a lot of guys who don't like him for this. They were envious of Daniel. How do I know that? Because they saw he had something they didn't have, and they were, they were angry at that and wanted it taken away from him. They also might have felt constrained by Daniel. Part of Daniel's job was to make sure that Darius suffered no loss. What does that mean? That there was no underhanded dealings, no embezzlement going on with Darius's funds, and maybe they felt restricted by that. They also felt humiliated by Daniel. Where do I see that? Well, when these guys come to Darius, this is now 60 to 65 years after Daniel is taken away as a POW for Babylon. And they say, this Daniel, this one who was taken out, as a matter of fact, let me, let me find their exact words. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. That's a derogatory term. This prisoner of war. That's how they viewed him. And then then they're like, this POW has risen above us. His reputation gained him position, favor, and also enemies. Well, what was this reputation that he had? The text tells us he was gifted in wisdom, gifted in knowledge, and gifted in interpretation. We see that all the way from his teen years when he started with Nebuchadnezzar, and he still has it into his 80s. 
He was faithful to the empire. We see that in verse 4. And we see that also in verse 22, that he was found blameless in regards to Darius. These got him promoted, but it also got him hated. But also, not only was he faithful to the empire, he was seen by all those around him that he was also faithful, first and foremost, to his God. His enemies knew it in verse 5, and his boss, Darius, knew it in verse 16 and verse 20. This was known to be his ultimate loyalty. Daniel's love for God, relationship with God, was not a secret to his worldly companions. Daniel was a man of integrity. Who he was at home in private was who he was at work in public. Pause for a moment to ask ourselves, is this what our friends and our enemies in the world would say about us? I'm not asking what these brothers and sisters would say about you, but those that you engage with week in and week out, out there in the Grand Valley. If we're not facing any persecution in our lives at all, brothers and sisters, it might be because our faith is not as public as it ought to be. This quote, I don't know who said it, but I heard it from our outreach pastor, a missionary said something like this. We are not usually persecuted for merely believing the gospel, but for believing it and declaring it publicly and boldly. I ask you, what is your reputation? Your reputation is almost an accurate picture of who you really are. So that's, that is um, Daniel's reputation. We're going to move now, verses 6 through 9, to Darius's ordinance. So this is the decree that Darius makes. First, we see its endorsement in verses 6 through 7. These high officials, and if you notice in the text, repetition. Whenever you see that, it's something very important. They came by agreement, by agreement, by agreement. This was a coup against Daniel. Their claim was that we all agree, king, that this is what we should do. But it also was exaggerated. Why do I say that? They say all the high officials agree to this. Who's not included in agreeing with this decree? Daniel. So this is, that's, so it, it was endorsed, but here's, here's the edict. Ready? Verse 7. Petitions and prayers are to be made to Darius alone for 30 days. And the enforcement of this, it's irrevocable by the laws of the Medes and the Persians. You could not change this ordinance. And the consequence, if it is violated, is death. But death by lions. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had to rank all the ways that I'd be willing to die... Death by lions would be like in the appendix. It would not be a part of that list. But this is, this is where the text gets good. It's all good, but this is where it gets real good. Verses 10 through 13, Daniel's response. Daniel's response. I love this. Verse 10 is very clear. He knew the ordinance. He knew it well. It's not as if he hadn't heard about it and found out about it after the fact. Oh, man, I didn't know that that got signed. He got the memo. He got all of it. He was an official from Darius. Anything passed on, it probably came to him first. He knew it was from Darius. He knew it was only 30 days in duration. And he knew the penalty was death by lions. And he might have had a few different options. I would have probably thought about this first. I would have prayed about it. Complained to Darius. He's about to be VP. Darius, Darius, hey, you, you didn't get my input on this. So technically that's a void document. He could have refrained for 30 days. That's only prayer. Yeah, it's only, it's only prayer, right? 30 days, ah, God will be waiting. 
Or he could hide for 30 days. <laughs> Darius, I'm, I'm in my 80s, man. I, I've been serving the state for 60-something years. How about I get a 30-day sabbatical, and I'll go out by myself in the mountains? This was a true test of Daniel's allegiance to Yahweh. One commentator says, the test matches Daniel's unquestioned loyalty to the state against his loyalty to God in an attempt to show how his devotion to his job might be compromised when it is pitted against commitment to his religion. This, brothers and sisters, is the test that we face when our workplace tells us to lie to someone who is experiencing gender dysphoria at the cost of our job. This is the test we face when our loved one tells us they've chosen a gay lifestyle and you must affirm it at the cost of the relationship. This is the test we face whenever our culture or even our mother or father or brother or sister calls us to endorse and celebrate a lie versus truth or sin versus righteousness. This is the test. Will we obey and believe God or will we obey and believe our own heart or the culture around us? So how does Daniel respond? What does he do? He knows the ordinance, but second, he disregards the ordinance. He disregards it. I choose that word intentionally. He's not aggressive against it. He just disregards it. It has no consequence in his mind on what he's going to do. Daniel went where he always went and did what he always did for the same reasons he had always done it. And what was that? He prayed towards Jerusalem for his people three times a day. Now you're asking, okay, a little showy, windows open towards Jerusalem. Did he really need to do that? I mean, he, he made a lot of money probably. He probably had a basement or something. Turn with me, or it's going to be on the screen, I believe. Wyatt, right? First Kings, yeah. First Kings chapter 8, verses 46 through 53. This is a part of Solomon's dedication of the temple. And uh, this exactly what is written here is exactly what happened. And look what God instructs his people to do. If they sin against you, that's the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, for there is no one who does not sin. Like Solomon's like, this is going to happen. And you are angry with them. And give them to an enemy, which is exactly what Daniel experienced as a teenage boy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly, if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you, what does that say? toward their land, which is an act of faith, because God promised it, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, then here in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause. Daniel knew the word of God, and Daniel submitted and allowed the word of God to determine what he did in crisis. Imagine being plundered and dragged off to a foreign land. And according to chapter 1, they tried to indoctrinate him. Yet in spite of all of this, 60-something years later, he's still full of the word of God, Colossians 3.16. It's dwelling in him richly, and he's praying in obedience to that word. He has persistence in his prayer. And God would eventually grant this prayer through Cyrus, 
And if you want to see the content of this prayer, it is rich, it is deep, it is fully theological. I think I counted 16 or 17 descriptions Daniel has of God. He knows God. It's in Daniel chapter 9. For the sake of time, we won't, we won't read it. So he prays, but also he worshiped and thanked God. The text says not only did he pray, but he worshiped and thanked God. In the midst of exile, he worshiped. In the midst of exile, he gave thanks. In the midst of a more severe trial that he's about to face, he gave thanks. Thanksgiving was in his heart. As a matter of fact, we saw that, I believe, in Colossians 1 this morning, that we give thanks to God who has translated us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, that the heart of a person who is born again is a heart of thanksgiving. And how often did he do this? Three times a day, habitually. For 60 years, every day, Daniel communed with his God in prayer. And I have no doubt also uh, read the word and put it in his heart. In his teen years, he was resolved, and throughout his life, he abided in the vine. Daniel was resolved to be loyal to Yahweh from the very beginning. You can see that in Daniel 1, where he's only the age of my students. And from the beginning, he continued going. He was faithful to God, listen, before the big test came. So that when the test came, it was not out of character for him to be faithful. He believed God's word about being in captivity. And so believing him when the ordinance came, it just was a continuance of his faith. Why? did he believe? What produced faith in him? What sustained him in a godless world? Friends, it was simply the word of God and prayer. As Westerners, we are looking for the wow factor. I have parents that ask me, how are my kids going to survive the onslaught? I get it. Parents, we need to be concerned. We need to do proactive things for our kids. But brothers and sisters, it hasn't changed. Our big, magnificent, mighty God moves mountains, parts seas, yes, speaks from heaven, stills the sun in the sky. But our big, powerful, mighty God glorifies his name by using everyday, ordinary means of grace to grow and sustain and preserve his people. The simple means of grace, brick by brick, day by day. We love to do things for sake of illustration, we want to concrete pour a foundation in one day. One and done, we're finished. The Christian life is a masonry project, brick by brick, block by block. Some days you lay one block and then someone kicks it off the wall. And some days, you have those days as parents, right? And fellow brothers and sisters in our own life, 10 bricks are laid. And then you walk away and you take a step back and you see this ginormous wall. Do not wait for the test to expect some kind of concrete foundation to be poured. So what happens? He is caught and he is accused. Verses 11 through 13. This, they come again by agreement as a group. He's found in verse 11, he was faithful to Yahweh and found unfaithful to Darius's law. Again, they say this exile from Judah pays no attention to you. As one commentator put it, the accusation leveled against Daniel insinuates that this act of insubordination makes Daniel a dangerous subversive who pays no attention to you and thus a threat to the stability of the kingdom. Our world sees our faithfulness to God as a threat to the well-being of society. That's where we're at. This is nothing new. There's no new things under the sun. 
So then we see Darius' order in verses 14 through 18. He attempts to deliver Daniel in verse 14. He is distressed. He is stressed out. He makes a great effort. He tries until dark. And yet what happens? He is powerless. Then he's reminded ever so gently to damn Daniel. The law he made was above him. The law he made bound him. No way out. The king could not deliver Daniel. Powerless to free him. And then he commanded in verse 16 to doom Daniel. He ordered his execution while hoping for his deliverance. That shows you how powerless he indeed was. He was so overwhelmed and distressed and felt so helpless. It says he didn't eat. He didn't have any entertainment diversions brought to him and he didn't sleep. He didn't want to binge watch a show. He didn't want to go and have a night on the town to distract himself. He, this completely made Darius, who was at this point in time the most powerful man on the earth, feel powerless. He couldn't do it. So what do we see in verses 9 through 24? Daniel's rescue. Darius runs to the den in verses 19 through 20. He cries out loudly. And this is the question of the chapter. In Hebrew, you have here what's called a chiastic structure. I won't explain the technicalities of that because I don't even understand it all. But I know this. The center, you have, the, you have these verses that mirror each other and they get closer and closer. And the center verse of that structure is the main point of the text. Here it is. This is what is right there. Has your God whom you serve and trusted, been able to do what I could not deliver you. That's the point. And Daniel speaks to Darius. He graciously and respectfully greets him. O king, live forever. Now, I don't know about you, but if some guy had me thrown into a lion's den, I'd be like, maybe, O king, live for the next 10 minutes. Not, O king, live forever. Look at his heart, still respecting Darius. He's not bitter at those who have oppressed him. That's our master's example on the cross. What does he cry out about those who nailed him there? Oh, Father, what? Forgive them. And he talks about his great God who shut the lion's mouth, kept the lion's back. This was nothing shy of a miracle. It wasn't by accident this happened. It's not that the lions are really full. It's not that Daniel had a laser and made him chase it around the cave for a little bit to get him to stay away from him. This was a miracle. And he talks about his guiltless heart. I have been guiltless before my God, and I have been guiltless before you. Now, the state would have disagreed with that last, with that last thing he said, that he was guiltless before Darius. Let this comfort your heart. No matter what the state or our world tells us, if we are truly guiltless before God, then we are actually guiltless horizontally, regardless of what those might say. So then God, through Darius now, saves Daniel. He brings him up and out with joy, the opposite of verse 14. Daniel was spotless, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, earlier in the book of Daniel. He's totally spotless, not a scratch on him. Why? Because he trusted in his God. And then God, through Darius, sentences the accusers. The men and their families uh, endure the same fate that they unjustly tried to bring upon Daniel. Brothers and sisters, this teaches us that vengeance belongs to God, not us. And lastly, Darius's new ordinance in verses 24 through 28. Verse 25 tells us it's addressed to all, peoples, nations, and languages. Does this sound familiar to you? Echoes of the book of what? 
Revelation, peoples, nations, languages. Three times in the book of Daniel, God is glorified on the lips of a pagan king. God has proved and declared himself to be God even in the midst of judging Israel for not acknowledging that very reality. God gets glory through us one way or another, through his unfaithful people and through those who are faithful to him. And then Daniel concludes, prospers the rest of his life. And this is how the narrative portion of Daniel ends. He is faithful to God. God was faithful to him throughout the entirety of the exile. Okay, so let's... Let's make some applications here. How do we then remain faithful? Do we simply emulate Daniel? Do we dare to be a Daniel? No. Apart from God, Daniel was nothing. He was but dust. What did Jesus say to his disciples in John 15? Abide in me, I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We must start with truths bigger than ourselves, and then by the Spirit of God, we can live faithfully as our brother Daniel did. So, first application. When the winds of a godless culture blow against us, they will promise us satisfaction and promise us salvation if we go with their current. All will be well if you simply submit to our agenda. Brothers and sisters, they cannot follow through on either of these promises. The world can neither satisfy you nor save you. We learn this primarily from the antagonists in our story. We learn from them that we should not pursue position or possessions as our God. Why am I saying this? These men were incredibly powerful that hated Daniel. They were top of the structure of the largest, most powerful empire in the known world. And yet, they were still discontent because some Jew, some exile was above them. They wielded power within a worldwide empire, probably were very wealthy, and yet were not content with what they had. We are tempted, brothers and sisters, to the same sin of of discontentment. Discontentment is bred by a dissatisfaction in God and an unthankfulness for what he has provided. That's exactly the sin that Nathan the prophet pointed at David when he said, you are the man. He didn't come at him with, you committed adultery. You committed murder. The two most heinous sins in the Ten Commandments. No. What Nathan the prophet pointed out is, you had all the sheep you wanted, and you still were not content with that. You went and took your neighbor's sheep. That is the sin that leads to all kinds of other sins. No authority nor distraction will ever be able to free us. Darius was the king. His own law bound him and kept him from freeing Daniel. He gave it his best efforts to free him. And guess what? He couldn't. At the end of the day, he had to say, I hope your God, who you trust in, is able to deliver you. And notice what happened to all of Daniel's enemies. They ended up dead. The most powerful people in the world. One of the greatest illustrations of this. Think about Hugh Hefner you know who he is. He had all of the physical pleasures that our world pursues outside of God's boundaries. He had all the money, all the prestige, all the fame he could ever wanted. He lived a long, full life into his 90s. He's dead. It is over. He is in hell for all eternity under the wrath of God. Do not trust in the world or possessions or things. Our culture demands that we go along with its drifts and promise us its affirmation, its community, its love. It's in, it promises us integrity and happiness. Do not believe the lie. 
Look at the power of the strongest world empire of the known world in Daniel 6, and it was powerless. It could not deliver themselves, and they could not deliver anyone else either. Our culture and our world cannot satisfy us nor save us. Have that mindset and believe that with all your heart. But then positively, when the winds of a godless culture blow against us, our God also promises us satisfaction and promises us salvation if we trust in his promises he has made to us. And he has and always will follow through on these promises, unlike the world system. Our God is a covenant-keeping God. Regardless of our surroundings, God is enough to satisfy us and able to save. The main point of the text is that God is able to deliver his people from the absolute worst possible oppression they may come up against. Not only cause them to survive, but to thrive. What is our role? It's ultimately to trust. And that trust matures over time into courage, into integrity and endurance. And how do we grow in our trust? We love, we pursue, and we know our God now. I want us not to so much focus on the remarkable stand that, da- that Daniel took when the time came. And it was remarkable. Focus on his daily walk. Verse 10. Look at verse 10 with me. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks, to his, he gave, he gave thanks before his God. Read this with me. As he had done previously. That's the key right there. You want to talk about an application? You want to know how you're going to face opposition? Walk with God today and you will stand faithfully for him by his grace tomorrow. Daniel knew God. This is very clear from chapter 2 and chapter 9. Daniel gave thanks to God. Daniel petitioned God. This was his regular routine. And even as second in command of the known world, Daniel was satisfied in God. If you look at chapter 5, he's offered all kinds of things from Nebuchadnezzar's son or grandson, and he turns it down, doesn't need it. Brothers and sisters, don't wait until the test to fill your heart with the right answers. Study is important. I know this. When I was in high school before I was born again, I took chemistry, and I hated chemistry. I didn't, I didn't pay attention during the year. I didn't study. But I tell you what I did do on the day of the final exam, the state regents, I brought in a cheat sheet, and I wasn't caught either. It was a good cheat sheet. had all kinds of information on there ready to go. I still got a 56, okay? (laughs) Do not wait until the day of the test to study or think that you're going to be able to cheat. Your daily walk with God today determines your response to trials and opposition tomorrow. I could ask you how you'll respond to the world when they tempt you and test you to choose obedience to them over obedience to God, but I believe the real issue is this, your daily walk. So let me pause and ask this question. Before I ask about your daily walk, do you have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ? Have you turned away from your sin, placed all of your confidence and trust in Jesus to forgive you and cleanse you and give you a new heart, new desires? Are you born again? Because unless that's the reality, no mere going through the motions will cause you to obey. God produces the fruit of the spirit in us as we interact with him in his word. I want to look at briefly some of the fruit that happened in Daniel's life that will happen in our life when we abide in the vine. 
This is, this, is, this is great. When we walk with Jesus daily, brothers and sisters, we are enabled to live lives of integrity. We can be who we are no matter where we are. Daniel's reputation, as I pointed out, with all people was that he loved Yahweh supremely and he was a man of prayer. His enemies knew the only way we're gonna get this guy to go against the state is to make sure that that command of the state goes against the law of his God. Be who you are no matter where you are and no matter who you are with and no matter the consequences. Pray and walk with Jesus as you always have when the test comes. As one commentator put it, when prayer becomes fashionable, Praying in secret may be a good thing. But when prayer is prohibited, to pray in private becomes an act of cowardice. Show the world around you what it means to be totally secure in your identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. Our world is clamoring for identity. They have no idea who they are, so they're looking to, to, to find themselves in their sexuality, in their gender, in their work, in their possessions, all kinds of things. Show them what it's like to know who you are, being made in the image of God, and then being renewed into the image of Jesus Christ. Second, when we walk with Jesus daily, we are enabled to let trials have their maturing work in our lives, as we find in James 1 and in 1 Peter. In the event of suffering and persecution, God is able to strengthen and ultimately deliver us, not just from danger, but in and through danger. Notice, God did not prevent Daniel from going to the den of lions. He let him go there, which was probably a very frightening experience. And through it, his confidence in God was strengthened. Why? Because before he went to the den of lions, he simply knew that God could keep him from the lion's harm. But after that experience, he not only knew it here, he knew it because it, he, he experienced it. God has a purpose in sending us into dens of lions to show you that he is enough to satisfy you and that he is able to save you. And look at the outset. God is glorified. This is his purpose in our trials, to glorify himself. It is always his glory, our good. His glory, our good. That's the point of Romans 8, 28 through 30. Even if we cannot see it. When we walk with Jesus daily, we're also able to love our neighbors in the midst of persecution. This is a big one. Daniel loved Darius. And as we saw in chapter four, or we, if, you, if you look at chapter four, he loved Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't hate the world that oppressed him and pressured him. Do you sincerely love those who pressure and persecute you? Do you have a desire in your heart for God to bless your boss, to bless your neighbor, to bless your in-laws, to save them from the wrath of God as he has done with you? When we walk with Jesus daily, we are also able to leave justice to God in the midst of persecution. God took care of Daniel's enemies. God will repay our enemies, either in the sacrifice of his son on the cross already in the atonement or in the lake of fire for all eternity. Leave that to God. He will right all wrongs. We can let him do what he's going to do with our enemies because he's promised to do so and it's not our place to do it because we deserve the same fate as them apart from Jesus. And when we walk with Jesus daily, we are able to love God's glory more than our safety. Look at how God displayed himself through Daniel's distress as a sovereign king who is able to rescue his people from anything, the best that the world throws at them. So we now come to our final point. When the winds of a godless culture blow against us, our God also promises satisfaction and salvation 
through his son, Jesus Christ. Look to him. You ask yourself, why am I looking to Jesus like Daniel? I'm not headed to a lion's den. You're more like Daniel than you think. I am more like Daniel than I think. You and I are rightly accused by our conscience, the devil and God. Daniel was falsely accused in this narrative. We are rightly accused. We need no one to set us up to expose our sin. We're already naked before God. God, like Darius, cannot and will not forgo his holy character and law to free us. He cannot merely just excuse our sin and turn the other way. We are not headed to a den of lions apart from Christ, but to the lake of fire from which there is no rescue after we enter it. We won't be crushed by lions' teeth if we are outside of Christ, but we will gnash our own teeth under the mighty wrath of Almighty God forever. So how then does God rescue us from our lake of fire like he rescued Daniel from the den of lions? Darius couldn't, we can't, but God can. Jesus, like Daniel, was falsely accused because he had jealous and envious enemies. Jesus remained faithful to God and spoke what he was to speak publicly, even under threat and knowledge of impending death. He was completely faithful. Daniel sinned. Jesus never did. Daniel escaped the judgment of Darius. Jesus did not escape the wrath of God, but absorbed and satisfied the wrath of God. Jesus was not placed in a den, but a tomb. And it was also sealed with an official seal for three days. And Jesus was not pulled out of the ground of the tomb by a king, but he, re- he was resurrected and walked out as king. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the greater Daniel who will satisfy and ultimately rescue his people both now and forever. Read Philippians 3, read Psalm 16. So in conclusion... If you are here this morning and you have never turned away from your sin, if you are going with the current of this world, the flesh, the evil one, and the world, the wrath of God is coming. Today is the day to repent of your sins, turn away from them, trust in Christ. As that song sang, not in me, it is not based on anything we do or don't do that we are justified in God's sight. You are born sinful. You are conceived sinful. Turn to Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in this room, rest in this reality. The wrath of God is satisfied. We are God's children. We have his spirit. Romans 8, 28 through 30 is so true. Commune with him every day, today and until he calls us home in order to deepen our trust in him. And he will use our faith, which is a gift from him, according to scripture, to preserve us in this perverted day in which we live. He's been doing this since he's called a people to himself and he'll do it all the way until he brings them home. We're gonna conclude with Hebrews 12, one through two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses like Daniel, let us also, like Daniel did, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter, the completer of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God as our sovereign king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. You are faithful. You are good. You have preserved your people, and you will preserve your people. But Lord, it is only by grace, through faith, 
through the ordinary means of grace that we will stand against the winds and the current of this culture. God, would you help us now to do what your people have done for thousands of years, look to you and walk with you daily. And I pray, Lord, now as we remember you, that we would remember it is only because of your sacrifice on the cross that we are righteous in your eyes and that same sacrifice and that same perfect life enable us to also live a godly life as we are persecuted for it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.